When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Simon the Pharisee and this sinful woman had very different relationships with Jesus, as we can see in this story. This is our only chance to read about Simon the Pharisee. But many people think that the sinful woman in the story is actually Mary Magdalene from whom Jesus had cast seven demons. I would agree. Simon, who is a pillar of the community, was intrigued about Jesus, and so he invited him to dinner. He also thought that inviting this popular miracle worker to dinner would enhance his own reputation, you see, in the community. The sinful woman, however, had no selfish thoughts and only wanted to show the depth of her gratitude and her devotion to Jesus. Taking no thought to herself, she showed Jesus how much he meant to her by washing his feet with her tears and pouring perfume on them. Now Simon criticized the sinful woman for touching Jesus, and in his heart was criticizing Jesus for allowing her to even do that. But Jesus praised her for her devotion to him. He said that her love for Jesus far exceeded Simon's love for Jesus, Because she understood the depth of the forgiveness that she had received from him. Simon, on the other hand, seemed almost unwilling to admit that he even needed forgiveness. These two people had two very different relationships with Jesus. Now, which of them would you most easily identify with today? Simon or Mary? What is your relationship with Jesus? What does it look like? How would you describe it? 
Do you see Jesus only as your ticket to heaven, (laughs) the means to greater blessings in life here on earth or maybe in the future? Or do you see Jesus as your very life, as someone you can't possibly live without? What is your relationship with Jesus this morning? Now, this summer series of messages is meant to address the areas of our lives and our faith where we might still struggle, struggle to get it right, struggle to grow as we know we should. We, we wish we had been to this point in this area of our life, and somehow we find ourselves still back here, some distance back from where we would like to be. We've already talked about worry. Some of us worry way too much, and we talked about anxiety, you know, and the peace that we can have in Christ that passes understanding. We talked about distractions last week, and how many have noticed how many more distractions you had this week than you ever had before? Because now you're aware. Now you see how many times things are pulling us away, pulling us aside, helping us you know, to, to draw away from what God wants us to do or what God wants us to see or become part of. Today we want to talk about how close we may or may not feel to God. If you sometimes struggle feeling close, this might be a message for you. I know it is for me. The strength of our faith, the strength of our relationship to God will wax and wane over the years. Our love for God will be stronger at times and weaker at other times. When our circumstances are good, you know, sometimes we feel like God's hand is on our shoulder, you know, and he's kind of driving us through, and he's in charge, and he's doing so much good in our life. But if suddenly our circumstances turn sour or bad, you know, then it's like, where'd you go? We feel uh, like abandoned by God because now suddenly there's this illness. Suddenly there's a loss of a job, or maybe, you know, other things happen in our lives, and we wonder, why isn't God there? Why isn't he answering my prayers? Can you identify today with today's message, I believe in God, but I don't feel close to him? Is that how you're feeling? Are you willing to admit that to God and say, God, help me to understand, help me to deal with this, help me to get through this today? There are several reasons that people may not feel close to God. It might be because we have some wrong ideas about God. We're we're expecting the wrong thing. We're thinking the wrong thing even to begin with. For instance, we might think that God just couldn't care less, you know. Uh, Some people think, you know, God is disinterested. God is up in heaven. We're down here on earth, and the two will never meet, you know. The deist, uh, you know, a few hundred years ago when our country was started, some of the deists thought that God had created the world. They were convinced of that, that God had set principles in place. But then God looked the other way. God was not interested. God was not involved in what was going on in, on earth. And they were okay with that. Many people still believe that, whether deist or not. But they're wrong. You know, they're wrong. God knows. God cares about everything that is happening on this earth. There's, there's nothing that he's you know, not aware of, nothing that he is not concerned about, that he would like to see something better happen. And so for somebody to say God just doesn't care is wrong. Some people think that God is vengeful, you know, that he's just filled with wrath and condemnation. I picture him as someone constantly seeking to punish anyone who does anything wrong, you know, just waiting to catch us when we did something wrong so he could go after us. But the Bible doesn't picture God that way. He is a God of judgment. We will stand accountable for whatever we have done here on earth. 
But the Bible says that God doesn't want to condemn anyone, but that rather he would like to see everyone come to faith, come to repentance, come to life in Christ. John 3.17, all right, after John 3.16 says that God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn anyone, but rather to save everyone that he could. 2 Peter 3.9 says that God doesn't want anyone to perish but he wants everyone to come to repentance, that is, to come back to him. Now, some people think that God is fickle. You know, you can't count on him. We think maybe he answers our prayers on one occasion but not another. Our happiness and our feelings about God may hinge on what's happening in our lives. Uh, but I don't live by happiness to you. I live by joy. <laughs> joy is so different, so much better. Because it's based on God, not on my circumstances. But some people kind of put it all together, you know, when, when God is smiling on them, you know, everything's going great. And when things fall apart, God must be angry. God can't be counted on. As we come to know God better, as so many people here today have, we learn that God is the most faithful person you'll ever know. God is faithful when we are faithless or unfaithful. And people try to blame God for all kinds of things, all kinds of problems that man has created, that man has devised, that man has you know, foisted upon each other, and God gets blamed, but God is not to blame. God is our rock. God is our foundation. He is faithful. Now, some of our feelings, then, about God are based on ignorance. Sometimes we get our ideas about God from other people, and we never really check it out for ourselves. So we need to study His Word this, this is a word from God. This tells us all about God, tells us so much that we need to know. And, and for you to spout off and say, well, I heard somebody say, or somebody feels this way, I guess I agree. Let's not do that. Let's go to the word of God, learn everything we can, and we will become more and more impressed, I think, with God. We may not feel close to him because we have some wrong ideas about him, wrong expectations of him. Here's another reason we're not close to God. We think God is far away, that we were never taught that closeness to God is something that is even possible or something to be pursued. Most of us have been taught to fear God, to always hold him in reverence, but maybe we were never encouraged to get as close as we could to him. And it's like... Uh, you know, God is, is on his throne, and God is watching, and God is holding you accountable, and God loves you and whatever, but he's always at a distance, always at an arm's length from us. That's unfortunate because, as we will see today, God desires an intimate, personal, ongoing relationship with each of his children. He desires a relationship like that with you and with me. So closest with God... To some people, it's not even possible, but it is possible, and it should be the experience of every believer. If you're not experiencing closeness with God, fix that, get that right. Thirdly, I'll mention one final reason that we don't feel close to God, and this is not just a feeling, it's a fact. We are not close to God sometimes because we're still holding on to sin. Let's be honest about it. We're not close to God because even as believers, we're still practicing sin on a regular basis. You know, we, we come to church, we say the things we're supposed to say, we sing the sing, things we're supposed to sing, we may even say some prayers throughout the week, we may, you know, read our scripture or something, but somewhere, somehow, we're holding on to sin. 
Somehow we're practicing, continuing in sin when God wants us to break free from that and gives us the power to do that. We are not close to God because even as believers we practice sin. We are not close to God because we're still giving in to sin, still allowing it to control our lives when he's supposed to be in control. Perhaps we were close to God at one time, but the sins we have now brought into our lives keep God at a distance. Now, unconfessed sin, sins that, that we're still holding on to, you know, not acknowledging, not dealing with, not repenting of, is a great, great barrier between us and God, between a lot of people and God. As Isaiah 59 says this, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt, your lips have spoken falsely, your tongue mutters wicked things. So if we find ourselves, if you find yourself today holding on to sin instead of holding on to God, the only thing to do is to repent. (laughs) Repent of that. Say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to live that way anymore. And to get your heart right with God and return to God. God says, you return to me, I will return to you. If you were close to God at one point in your life, but you now feel distant from him, Guess who moved? It wasn't God. It was you. you. You went off somewhere else, got involved in something else. God told the sinful nation, return to me, I will return to you. That's Zechariah 1.3. And he says the same thing to any believer who is choosing sin over him today. Here's a fact all of us need to know as we talk about this, that closeness with God is indeed possible. And in fact, it's one of the greatest provisions that God has ever made for our lives. So let's get into that today. Adam and Eve, you know, walked with God in the Garden of Eden uh, before they chose to sin. And then all of a sudden, that's gone. They're cast out of the garden. Enoch, seven generations after Adam, walked with God so closely that God took him to heaven. He never even had to experience death. God just says, "Uh, I'm, I'm enjoying this. Enoch, just come and be with me forever. Only place we see that happening. Abraham was called the friend of God. He had a very close relationship with God for the last 75 years of his life. You know, this is a long-term relationship. And then, you know, he went home uh, in, in the old covenant way into the bosom of Abraham, you know. He went in to, to be with God. Now, these examples of closeness with God are all of the Old Testament But think what we have now in the new covenant with God through Jesus Christ. In Christ, we have opportunities for such closeness at even greater and greater degrees than we've ever had before. God wants to be involved. God wants to to be included. He wants to help us with every aspect of our lives. And so he's given us his presence. He's given us his closeness The question is, do we want to be close to God? Because he's doing everything he can to be close to us. But he is a gentleman, as C.S. Lewis says. He's not going to force himself. We have to choose him. One day, a young disciple of Christ who wanted to become all that God dreamed for him to become visited an elderly brother in a nursing home. He had heard that this elderly brother had never lost 
his first love for Jesus. You know, a lot of people kind of lose their first love. Even after all these years of following Christ, he was still strong in his faith, still vibrant, you know, in, in, in his witness. And so he got there, and this elder gentleman sitting out on the front porch with his dog, taking in just kind of a beautiful sunset. And young man posed this question. He says, why is it, sir, that most Christians zealously chase after God for the first few months or maybe the first two or three years after their conversion, but then they fall into a complacent ritual of church once or twice a week and end up not looking any different than their neighbors who are not even Christians. You know, this is, this is a valid question. Why would somebody be so hot, so, so uh, you know, in love with God, and then this, this dissipates? He went on. He says, you know, I've heard that you're not like that. I've been told that you, you have fervently sought after God throughout your many years. People see something in you that they do not see in most other people who call themselves Christians. What makes you different? The young man was asking. The old man smiled and replied. He says, young man, let, let me tell you a story. One day I was sitting here quietly in the sun with my dog, just like today. Suddenly a large white rabbit ran across the yard in front of us. Well, my dog jumped up and took off after that big rabbit. He chased the rabbit over the hills and valleys with a passion. Soon other dogs joined him, attracted by his barking. What a sight it was, that whole pack of dogs barking across the streets, up stony embankments, through thickets and thorns, whatever they encounter, they're going after this rabbit. But gradually, one by one, the other dogs dropped out of the pursuit, discouraged and frustrated by the chase. And at the end, only my dog continued to hotly pursue the white rabbit until he caught him. In that story, young man, lies the answer to your question. Well, the young man sat there in confused silence for a while and finally said, Sir, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I don't get it, I don't understand. What's the connection between the rabbit chase and our quest for God? He says, Well, you failed to understand because you failed to ask an obvious question, and that is, why didn't the other dogs continue with the chase? And the answer to the question is, they had never seen the rabbit. Have you ever been close to God? Do you know the difference that he can make in our lives? If you haven't, and then you don't, I want you to know this morning that such closeness is not only possible, but absolutely necessary for you and me to be everything that God wants us to be in Christ. We have to have this closeness with the presence of God and all the benefits we will receive when God is in our lives. And the night before Jesus was crucified, he met with his closest disciples in an upper room for Passover. We call it the Last Supper. He knew that his death was imminent. He knew what it was going to do to his disciples. When they found out that they came and arrested him, they took him away, and in a few hours they crucified him, and he died, they were absolutely crushed. That, that could never even describe the feelings that they had, and they hid in fear. Jesus knew this was all coming, and so he wanted to assure them that he was really not going to leave them forever. You know, it wasn't going to be the end of the story. There is more to this story. And so I've been reading in John, in chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, all about this one night when Jesus is with the disciples. 
And especially in 14, 15, and 16, those chapters, I was amazed at how many times Jesus was promising them and reassuring them that he would never leave them alone. And over and over again, he assured them that he would be with them forever. In fact, what, what really came out of my mind is like, I can't, I can't even remember seeing this before, that Jesus assured his disciples that all three persons of the Trinity would be with him, them forever. <laughs> That's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Have you ever noticed that as you read through the Gospel of John? These three persons in the Godhead are literally one person. So this is man's attempt to wrap our minds around something that we can't. And so it's kind of helpful for us to see three different aspects of this one person. So we see them moving through history together in the Bible. But Jesus, the Son, God the Father, God the Spirit are three different persons all wrapped up in one. Now Jesus was with God at the creation uh, we see that. You know, he was there at the beginning. Nothing was created except it was created by him, we're told in the Bible. But he became flesh, he became a man in order to show us who God is and what God is like. God became a human being in order to get close to us, to be one of us, to experience what our lives are like. The book of Hebrews says that he was tempted in every way just as we are yet was without sin, Hebrews 4.15. And God came to earth to show us how much he loves us, so much that he gave his life for us. And he could be the only perfect sacrifice to accomplish the salvation of everyone in the world who would believe. Now, Jesus obeyed God the Father's will in everything. He spoke on his behalf, and he promised his disciples that the Holy Spirit, the third person of this trinity, would come upon believers after Jesus' ascension into heaven. That way, he says, we will be with you. God will be with you. God will be close to you, even living inside of you, each of you, all of you at the same time. Now, specifically in John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus promises disciples that he would not leave them as orphans. He told them that even though he would go away temporarily, he would come back to them. Even more, when he did come to them in the Spirit of God, the Father would come to them also. This is, this is what was kind of you know, blowing my mind as I'm reading through this. And so I want to share a couple passages with you. Listen to what he said in John 14, verses 15 through 20. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now get this, Holy Spirit's going to live with you and be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. When the Spirit comes, it is the Spirit of Jesus who comes. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. We're getting Jesus and the Spirit all involved here, aren't we? And they're all saying, he's saying, we will come and we will be with you. 
as he continues to talk to his disciples. He goes even further. And, and I want to encourage you to read John 14, 15, and 16 for yourself sometime. John, Jesus promised that anyone who loves him, obeys his teaching, will be loved by God the Father and indwelt by both Father and Son. And he says in John 15, we're, it's the vine and the branches. And if we abide in him, he will abide in us, just as you know, I and the Father are one. And there's all these different things that are saying. And then in addition, he says that God, the Spirit, would be sent to them to be their advocate and to teach them everything they needed to know. So we go down to John 14, verse 23. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. We, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So here's, here's the big picture of what's going on. Jesus is saying... We're going to come and be with you. You're not going to be alone. You're not going to be abandoned. There is no need for you to feel that, that God is not close to you because he's going to live inside you. He's going to be with you through every experience of your life once you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Can you hear the words of comfort and peace Jesus is trying to offer his disciples on this tumultuous night? He made sure that they would never be alone, that he would come to them to be with them continuously and forever. And what is especially great for all of us are kind of reading from the sidelines, kind of listening in to this conversation, hearing what Jesus said to these 12 disciples, is that Jesus said that these promises were not just for them, but for everyone who would ever believe in him. How much God must love him to make such a promise. So what has been our response to God's offer to live inside us and to be with us forever? Have we decided, have you decided to be as close to God as possible? Or are we going to keep him at arm's length? Except when we need him. Then, oh, oh come over here. I got something. I need something from you. Now, let's suppose for a moment that you have a million dollars in your bank account and you want to make a difference in somebody's life. And so God's kind of put on your heart that there's these, these teenagers who still haven't been adopted by anybody down at the orphanage. And your heart goes out to them. And you've met them. And uh, they both have said that they'd really like to be adopted by you. You know, the conversation is proceeding there. And you think, okay, well, I have the resources. I have the time. I have you know, awareness of things. I could enrich their lives. I can show them what a loving parent is like. I can help them to go through their lives. And, and uh, you know, we have all kinds of plans, you know, things that you dream for them, what you'd like to hear them say and, and what you want them to discover and what you want them to learn and how they should grow and how they could, you know, contribute so much to society if somebody would just love them that much. So, you make plans to adopt them. And everything's going through. You get in the courtroom. 
and uh, judge finalizes the adoption, wishes you well. And as you're leaving the courthouse now, you tell your new kids, here's what I've planned for you today. How do you feel when the teenagers say, oh, no, we can't do that. We've got plans with our friends today. And you keep your cool and you say, okay, well, this week we'll go to the, the new schools that, that I want you to look at, consider, you know, because this is an important part of, of your growth. And they respond, we don't want to change schools. We want to stay with our friends. And you say, okay, well, we'll talk about that later. A few minutes later, you say, you know, I've got this great idea. Every week we should have a family night to get to know each other a lot better. And they say, do we have to do that if we don't want to? Finally, you get frustrated with this whole conversation, and you say, tell me something. Why did you want to be adopted in the first place? To which they respond very honestly, because we know you're rich, and we thought we'd get a lot of good things if we went to live with you. You see, while you were seeking relationship and intimacy and helping these teenagers grow up the best that they could possibly grow up, they were simply trying to gain access to more and more things. That's how some people treat God, you know. They only pray, they only draw close to God when they want something or they need something. Have we been treating God like a, like a sugar daddy, you know, as, as a Santa Claus for us? only making contact with him when, whenever we want something from him. If that's been the case, that's why you're not close to God and you need to repent. Because God has so much more in mind. He loves us more. He loves us better than we love ourselves. He desires uh, for us things that far exceed any desires we have for ourselves. His plan for our lives is so much greater and grandiose than anything we could ever dream up. But we need to surrender our will to God's will. And we need to draw close to him in order for any of these things to come to pass. So do you want to be close to God? You can decide. You can answer that. If so, what are you willing to do to get there? Now, two keys before we go that I want you to kind of hold on to and just hang your hat on. Two keys to having a close an intimate relationship with God. The first one is simply truth. You can't have a relationship with God unless you're truthful, unless you're sincere and truthful with God. Unless you're not holding nothing back. You're not you know, keeping little side rooms off and little stashes and little private areas of your life. The first key is truth. And this includes not holding on to certain things in your life holding them in reserve for yourself? Are there areas in your life that you're holding on to that you have not given to God? Are there areas that you've kind of declared, those are off limits, those aren't for you? Are you trying to hide things from God? Are you pretending they don't really matter? That's not, that's not of anything of, of substance. You know, I, I can do this on the side. Are you allowing them to get in between you and God? Is there sin in your life that the only thing to do is to openly confess that to God and repent of it. You will never be close to God until you honestly deal with these things. So you know, get them out in the open because he must be first. He must be Lord of everything. And he already knows about all these things already. It's not like he'll say, oh, I didn't know about that. 
but it's good that you brought it up because now we can do something. First key is truth. Second key is time. You can't have a relationship without God without time. Same as any other relationship. Tell your wife, your husband, you know, I love you, and you never spend time with them. It doesn't work. This means you have to set aside time to begin each day with God, to ask him to lead and guide you throughout that day. This means taking time to read and study and meditate on his word on a regular basis so that you can get to know God better and so you'll know how to live your life, how to please him, how to honor him, to show your love back. This means remembering moment by moment throughout every day of your life that your life in Christ depends on abiding in the vine. You know, practicing the presence is how some people put that. You know, understanding that he's there every moment and living your life in that moment with God. If you desire to have a close relationship with God, you have to put time into it. And if you do not put time into it, you'll never be close to God. It's really that simple. So I want to go back as we close to where we started to the story of Simon the Pharisee and Mary Magdalene, or the woman who is a sinful woman who came to Jesus and showed her great devotion to him. Somehow, Mary knew that Jesus knew what she had done and accepted her anyway. That had already been cleared out. That's why I think it could be her. He's already dealt with her. He's already cast out the demons. Already, you know, she's already starting to put her faith in him. She knew already that she had received Jesus' love and forgiveness and affirmation. And she's so grateful for what Jesus has done for her that she is moved to tears as she expresses her simple and yet extravagant act of devotion to him. As followers of Christ, God lives inside us. And he wants us to know his, that, that he will never abandon us. He will, will never leave us alone. And if we will only just, just draw close to him, he will draw close to us. And he will guide us and he will bless us in ways that we can't even imagine. He will use us to his glory as we surrender to him in that relationship. God has made every provision possible for us to be close to him. Is that what we want? Let's pray. God, I thank you that we could come together to look at your word and we could understand maybe a little better than we did before we arrived how much you desire that relationship with each of us. That you have, you've gone to extravagant measures, Lord, to make this possible and you have you've said, we will come to you, and we will live in you, and we will be with you. You will never be alone. God, I pray that we would not be like those orphans who only saw the gifts and not the giver. Help us, Lord, to give our lives to you completely without holding anything back. Help us, Lord, to repent of anything that is a barrier between you and us. And, and perhaps it's a sin. Maybe it's a relationship with someone else. Lord, help us to be real and honest before you. Help us to give the time to this relationship so that it can flourish as you want it to. 
Bless us each now as we continue worshiping you, not only through the minutes of this service, but through our lives as we leave. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us, please?